Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. I'm guessing most of the audience somewhat knows Bangla. So Kotha obviously means conversation. Um, and then one of our taglines is Cholo Kotha Boli, which is, um, you know, the literal translation of let's talk about it, uh, which I think the South Asian diaspora can also very much relate to that a lot of the issues that Kotha works with um, is just things that we're taught to not talk about. And Kotha was a way to, to, um, kind of resist that and not only just like in private spheres like in our homes like within our friend circles but also like in public spaces and I just totally skipped talking about what Kotha actually is uh, but Kotha is a feminist organization based in Bangladesh and we are working with root causes of gender-based violence and we're fighting fighting root causes of gender-based violence through primary intervention. So taking a more preventative approach to the culture of gender-based violence that exists in this country. Um, and then one of our main, our flagship program is Scott Hat School, the one that you were talking about, um, which is uh, working with middle schools and high schools, just education institutions in general, to incorporate comprehensive sexuality education, which we believe is like a really important tool for a long-term fight against gender-based violence. So that in a nutshell, um, very shortly is what Gotha is and does. Yeah. That's awesome. And what kind of led you to start this organization and, you know, how did you come about it? Yeah. Um, people ask me this question and I never have like a nice, neat story, uh, you know, where I just woke up one day and I was inspired to do this because I saw something somewhere and I never have a good story um, when I'm asked that. But essentially it's just, I think, just a culmination of like a lot of rage that was building up, um, a lot of anger from growing up, from growing up as a girl in Bangladesh and just uh, starting from interactions with family members, just the way that my actions were policed, my choices were policed and also uh, experiences at school, um, things that I just was noticing happening around me. In fact, like I, I very clearly remember there was a phase in my life where I would like actually obsessively follow the news for stories of uh, gender-based violence because it almost felt like it was my duty to stay informed mm -hmm. and feel that pain almost. Um, I remember there was a period where I would actually, every day I would go through the newspaper looking out for those stories and I would find at least one story um, about someone facing some type of sexual violence and usually it was more than one. And, and that still is continuing till today. So it was a lot of rage built up against this society that treated it so normally, so casually. And like people around you and things around us really try to make us believe that it's kind of it's inevitable. And Gotha was just like a big big fuck you to that that you know like it uh it it like it was a way to resist the people trying to make us believe that it is ine inevitable um and it was a way to reimagine a world where we can live without that violence we can live without that fear uh, of violence so yeah that's kind of what 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 led me to 
you know, start Gotha. And the name again, you know, was just from, uh, you know, I realized if if the norm is to not talk about it, the way to resist that is also to start talking about it and thus the name. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, just spending a lot of time in Bangladesh because we go back a lot and you've been living there. I like it's obviously a very taboo topic and it's obviously not you know, something talked about in classes, you know, we, there's no such thing as like sexual education classes there. So I guess just wondering, like, where did you see like the biggest gaps, especially like when it comes to rape and consent and just, you know, gender awareness in general, like, where did you see the biggest gaps? Well, the gap is that it was non-existent, um, especially especially in English medium school. So since you went to middle school here, um, you'll know, you know, we have in Bangladesh, we have like Bangla medium schools and then we have English medium schools. We have madrasas. Um, so for Bangla medium schools, actually, like they did, do have and they have had for quite a while, like some type of. I mean, you wouldn't call it sex education. Like it's, um, it's like termed different things like health education, health science, physical education. But there was some acknowledgement that this is something that we need to talk about in those, in those types of schools. So they had a book. Um, teachers didn't teach it properly. Teachers had their own bias. They were shy. Um, and a lot of it was very much biased and like if if you're teaching about menstruation it would teach girls that it's dirty and you shouldn't mm -hmm. talk about it that type of stuff so yeah. the content was by like no means like it was not comprehensive like forget comprehensive it was just not um it was not right um but for english medium schools they like we didn't have any type of like like not even a single class on anything related to menstruation, puberty, mm -hmm. forget consent or, you know, gender or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, a lot of my peers will be able to share that in our, um, when we got to grade five, when we started having biology classes, our like teachers would like have all of us submit our books and they would either tear out the anatomy page or they would staple it, glue it shut. And it was just a basic, you know, basic human yeah. anatomy. And so that that that's the level that they went to where they didn't want to talk about it. So, you know, that's kind of what we were, we have been, that, that's what we started with. That, that's what we had to work with. So, yeah, in terms of gap, it was pretty much non-existent. Yeah. Um, and then how did you kind of combat that? You know, like what is Gotha doing? If you want to talk about the Gotha at School program, a little bit more depth and, you know, exactly yeah. what the program entails and stuff like that. So <clears throat> the Gothard School program was basically a way to address this gap. Um, and it's a um, it's a, a comprehensive sexuality education program. Uh, we have an in-house built curriculum of six topics that range from issues of gender, where we talk about like norms, definitions of masculinity, femininity, really breaking down what those mean for people in Bangladesh, um, getting people to question the stereotypes that we see in our, around us. Um, and then we have consent, we have peer-to-peer -peer relationships where we can talk a lot about like, you know, healthy and abusive relationships. Um, we have sexual health, cyber harassment, bullying, and then bystander intervention. Um, so the way that Gothad School works is we work with long-term partnerships with education institutions. So, um, you know, one of the schools that we worked with is Aga Khan. And so we'll get, uh, when, once we partner with a school, 
we get incorporated into their school routine. So instead of just like a one day workshop where, mm-hmm. you know, kids come and then for a few hours, they're talking about this thing. They are getting Kothad school classes every week for two to three months. So it's really, um, it's, it's a really different approach in the sense that it's very long term compared to uh, how this work is usually done. Um, and it's also a peer led model. So we have um, we have a lot of like uh, fresh high school graduates or young university students, young professionals who are trained as peer educators who are going into these classrooms. And instead of like traditional teachers, like in Bangladesh, our relationship with our teachers is very formal, very, um, very distant and uh, you know, not conducive to having these classes at all. So we send in our peer educators um, for these classes. And yeah, and we it's a very like interactive classroom environment. None of it is lecture based. We do like role play. We do like, they do like skit design. We have like comic strips. It's um yeah. So it's co- really interactive. And, and <laughs> okay. I'm just curious, like what has the response been? Because I feel like this is something that really hasn't been done before. So I'm really curious, one, what the response is from the kids and then also from the parents, you know, if they're aware of this program and if they, if you've gotten any pushback or anything like that. Parents, um, yeah, it's like well-documented that parents are the biggest barriers to programs like this. And that's not just in Bangladesh, like even in the U.S., um, like this is like the biggest barrier and challenge that people have to overcome in terms of the students and they are our first priority like the way that we work like we are connected to the students like outside of those like classroom interactions as well a lot of our team members are like from those grades a lot of them like were in the Kothad school program before and then they got recruited into the team so we like the way that we work like the students know that you know it's like we're on their side and we're like going to scheme and how to like, you know, get, get to like what we need to talk about by keeping the adults outside. And that, that's the exact environment that we want to create. Um, in terms of the admins, the school teachers, you do have to be, you do have to be strategic about how you pitch it to them about uh, how you kind of sell it to them. Um, and, and we do get a little bit of a pushback, but we also like, make sure we stand our ground and we like push for things that we want to do. So, uh, for example, one of the schools that we approached, um, um, it was like right after, um, a really big, like large scale, like nude leak happened in high school and middle school in Bangladesh. And so uh, like, it was, uh, like it was a really, um, scary time, I think for young people who were, you know, who were victims of that crime and the response from teachers and admins were like, you know, we need to have a workshop on cyber harassment and tell them to get off social media. And that's also kind of like they saw us and they were like, Oh, you're the perfect person to come in and tell them to get off the internet because they'll listen to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we really had to be like, "Mm, that's not happening. (laughs) And not only are we not going to tell them that they have a right to be on the internet, we're also going to let them know that it's not going to be their fault if someone is, you know, violating their consent. And we're also going to talk to them about consent itself because that's a foundation and then you just kind of have to push for why you need to talk about everything from gender to consent to relationships to um you know cyber harassment and everything together for it to actually have an impact mm-hmm. um for young people um 
just the, from the moment we step into the classroom, they have so much to say. And that just goes to show how much they don't have a channel for talking about these things. So um, they they don't hesitate to share. We have a lot of fun. Like I remember when I was at Aga Khan, like they would, okay, I shouldn't go on record saying this, but like it was a library class, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had like library class right after Goth had school class and they would just like stay back and we would hang out like having more yeah. and more discussions. It was just like a fun environment in the classroom. So, yeah, I think the response from young people really shows how much this is something that they need. Um, we we do follow-ups through like focus group discussions and surveys where we've seen that they actually are able to use what they learn in the classroom in their day-to-day lives, whether it's like, you know, making sure uh, they're using what they learned on consent or they're identifying red flags and relationships and, you know, all of that. So it's been, it's been a really great experience. That's awesome. And I feel like that's so important when you're just having like conversations, because even when I had like sexual education classes, like growing <laughs> up here in the States, it was very much someone coming in, like maybe a health professional coming in with like a very biased opinion and just saying like, oh, these are the things you should be doing and these are the things you shouldn't be doing, like say abstinent, like all this stuff. And it's just like someone who's really old, like you obviously can't ask questions because you don't want any pushback. And it's just a really uncomfortable situation. And I feel like it's so important that you have like young people or even people their age who are just talking to them about it and being like, you know, you're allowed to have questions and like, please have questions because then they're not going to be scared because a lot of it is like, we're hiding stuff from our parents. We're hiding stuff from our teachers, especially in our community. Like we can't talk about these things. (laughs) And that's actually another thing I wanted to kind of get into is some of the people watching might be thinking, you know, if they're young or something and they want to have these kind of conversations with their parents, you know, do you have any like tips from your experience on how to (laughs) kind of tackle these conversations because it is such a taboo in our community so yeah yeah i mean that is really hard and like a lot of what we do in gotha i mean the gotha school program is obviously one aspect of it but a lot of what we do outside of that is also just figuring out how to have these conversations in our private spaces and that's not just with parents it's even with friends because those are some of the hardest conversations that we need to have and so you'll notice that a lot of the resources on our kata uh, social media pages are kind of geared towards how to have those navigate those conversations or just like building resources so people can fall back on those um uh, people can fall back on those instead of having to like you know um, in those very, in those like, uh, moments where it's, you know, a big burden on you emotionally, uh, you're not having to come up with the language to talk about these things. And, uh, you can just rely on fall back on the resources that we've built for you. So one example is, um, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with like the uh, pyramid of violence. Um, mm-hmm. It's like a tool where it shows like how, you know, you go from normalization to like more extreme forms, forms of violence. So we actually went ahead and made like a Bangladesh specific one. And I think a lot of those examples would be relevant for the diaspora as well. And so it's a lot of like examples specific to Bangladesh and Bang- uh, Bangladeshi culture. And we also have it in Bangla. So we actually, I myself have had, you know, really difficult conversations with like my family about victim blaming, about just, um, you know, casually uh, just not acknowledging what is the root of the problem. And then we've literally sat down with that pyramid and read it out in Bangla Mm -hmm. together 
and just had like an emotional conversation on, around that. So, um, and I, I've heard from like other people from the Gotha team that that actually also helped them. Um, I think having that, having the language to talk about it is really important. And I think the language barrier between parents and us is also something that um, kind of affects this. So, um, yeah, I would say, you know, just focusing a little bit more on like building building that language and vocabulary on connecting with each other. But I, I acknowledge that, you know, it is a lot of burden on young people to, you know, have those conversations and our, our parents definitely need to do way, way, way more um, to kind of, you know, make make that easier for us yeah i feel like it's it's not only hard on them and us but it's more so understanding that they grew up in like a very specific mindset and as as mad as we can get for at them for it you know it's hard because you have to understand that they're obviously two very different generations so what you talked about having like that very specific language instead of just like arguing about it it can be even basic to like the things i argue with my parents about is like you know if if some situation happens and then my parents are like oh well you know she was dressed this way so you know she was like asking for it which is like such a common thing and then i have to kind of do a rebuttal on like no you know that's not really the issue you know it's it's deeper than that so yeah i'm definitely gonna check that out and use it on my parents and i'll let you know how it goes because <laughs> Yeah, I also have do, my sister on my side, so, you know, it's really nice to kind of, like, try to have that yeah. open dialogue, and it's such a process, like, if anybody's watching and they want to have these conversations with them, I feel like it's it's not going to happen overnight, like, like you mentioned oh, in school, like, it needs to be, like, a continued discussion, because one conversation is just not going to be it, so, yeah, and I actually had a couple questions from the Boney team. Okay, so one question was, how should we address comments or tropes that are rooted in misogyny? If you had any thoughts on that. Mm, I think it, it depends on who the comments are coming from. And I think it's especially hard for, um, for women or gender diverse people and, you know, survivors in general, because... <clears throat> like it's not just you know the fight is not just with random strangers on the internet the fight is as i already mentioned it's like with someone you grew up with or someone you call like a really close friend and that just makes it so much more difficult and even if it's not like even if it's not the same like on a subtle level even if it's quote unquote so, uh, subtle form of misogyny like it still impacts you the same way so I think depends on who the comment is coming from. Um, and if it's coming from someone close to you like that, I, I think sometimes like it is okay to not engage in those conversations because it, it is such, it takes such a heavy toll on you. Um, uh, like I will sometimes, many times I will definitely lean on friends who are maybe not as directly or emotionally connected to the issue at hand to kind of like, have that conversation on my behalf if it's random people on the internet like um i mean gotha uh, gotha has been involved in like uh feminist protests and organizing as well and so we'll get a lot of hate on like you know why are you dancing as a form of protest on the streets like why can't you just like hold a placard and just stand there you know stuff like that so if, if we're getting comments like that like 
I will take that as a win because if you're super comfortable with what I'm doing, then I'm not doing anything right. Mm-hmm. Um, so comments like that, I, that's how I treat those. Um, and and like then you'll have like the devil's advocates who are going to try and have a yeah. debate on debate on you know whether we should believe survivors. So yeah, like I don't I don't put up with those. Like obviously, like you let them know that this is not a debate, and then that's the end of the conversation. Like yeah. there's no scope for entertaining those. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, Another question that we had was um, some of our team members read about the new death penalty policy that went in, started in Bangladesh, um, especially targeted towards um, the rape pandemic epidemic that they're calling in Bangladesh because it's been really crazy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So have you noticed it actually being effective? Have you noticed any changes? Because the government said that this was going to completely change, you know, stories of survivors and all that stuff yeah yeah so i did notice that it has been completely ineffective and like everybody who they who the government should have been listening to told them that it was going to be ineffective because there's research on it um like we're what in like the third month of 2021 and already we've had some really horrific cases some which made national headlines and some which didn't of like all different forms of rape whether it's gang rape or you know a uh, single perpetrator rape and in fact like we do we like our law did have the death penalty for gang rape um our the what the government did last year was just introduce it for all forms of rape so even single perpetrator rape mm-hmm. uh, now has like the highest uh, punishment as um death penalty but yeah so i mean that like leading up to that decision that the government took there was a lot of debate a lot of conversation around how that would actually harm survivors like um like on on different things that you you have to take into consideration like when judges are giving out um giving out their uh verdict uh if if the if i mean death penalty is such an uh, such an extreme form of punishment they're very reluctant to do that and if that's the only form of punishment that's available usually what happens is that um you know the perpetrator will will be able to get away it also makes so like we it's documented that conviction rate goes down once death penalty is introduced Mm -hmm. another thing that is uh, especially for bangladesh is that a lot of survivors um the um you know the perpetrators are people that they know are that are part of their family so it's a lot of time like relatives who are the perpetrators who are you know assaulters rapists and so in those cases families themselves push yeah so i think uh, the point that i've been trying to make for the past <laughs> 10 minutes is that when when you know when when the perpetrator is part of your family your family is going to push you away from reporting a case because the punishment is is death penalty and survivors themselves may not want to do that because it means death of a family member and and, you know there are lots of other components to take into account but we haven't seen that we haven't seen a change happen um after the introduction of the death penalty at all and this year we've seen um you know some really horrific cases so yeah that that's horrible and i didn't have really high hopes because it seems like there needs to be a lot of lot more work done on the ground level 
um, and a lot more awareness before things like this even happen. And like you mentioned, it doesn't seem like people are even going to be comfortable reporting other people because of the repercussion now. Um, do you have like any recommendations or, you know, what do you kind of think about all this in terms of how to improve or do you have any like <coughs> policy recommendations, things like that? And it's totally okay if you don't, but just open to hearing your thoughts. Yeah. About that. No, so so um, uh, so I'm also part of an alliance that actually came together in response um, to, I mean, during the anti-rape protests last year. It's called the Feminist Across Generations Alliance. It's Rage Against Rape on Instagram. Um, um, but uh, yeah, we had a ten-point demand, and uh, it had very clear suggestions that the government could have, um, you know, taken into account when wanting to, you know do something about the culture of rape in Bangladesh. So we had specific um, uh, suggestions for law reforms, like getting rid of the Evidence Act, which can basically question the moral character of um, of victims who are bringing forward, uh, you know, reports of rape. It can question, you know, what it can question their moral character. So, and then we wanted to criminalize marital rape because that's still not recognized as rape in our country. We had, um, we had a call for introducing comprehensive sex ed in all, uh, in all schools across Bangladesh, because that is one of the main, you know, one of the long-term solutions to gender-based mm -hmm. violence. And so we had a list of 10 point demands um, you know, to uh, for the education sector, for the legal sector, none of which were actually taken up by the government, and it, instead it chose to kind of move ahead with the death penalty. So, yeah, it really doesn't show a commitment to putting survivors first, or you know, the safety of women and gender diverse people. That sucks, and it's really frustrating to hear, but. You know, it's really great that you're kind of in this sector and working towards it. What are some of the goals that you have for Gata moving forward, especially with um, the plan that you put out that unfortunately wasn't, you know, met with any any type of solution? But yeah, what what are kind of your goals for Gata moving forward? I mean, our, our demands were not just to the state. A lot of it was to the society as well, because, you know, uh, society is not just a passive actor in all of this. They very actively add to the culture of rape in this country. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, the goal with Katha is to kind of, you know, uh, continue doing the work that we're doing um, and making sure like the Katha school model is spreading to more and more schools across the country. Um, and like one of our key areas in terms of like influencing policy has been to popularize this idea of comprehensive sex ed as a solution to gender-based violence. So we've been doing a lot of work on that. Kotha actually recently just launched uh, a training manual um, last week. It's one of the first in Bangladesh for other programs to build and implement peer-led CSE programs in their own community. So it's a very comprehensive um, manual that, you know, it t tells you everything from how to plan for it, how to train people, how to interact with schools. A lot of what we've, you know, learned over the past couple of years, we've put all that knowledge into a book for people to kind of take and use as their own. And so I think that's, that's the area of work with uh, comprehensive sex ed. But 
other than that, also Kotha has been working a lot on just bringing more people into the feminist movement in Bangladesh and just uh, seeing how um, as a, you know, younger player in this in this field, like how we can from our end strengthen the feminist movement um, and add to it. So I think that those would be some like larger goals for Kotha, um, independent of Kotha at school. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds really great. And I'm so excited to hear about everything that you guys are doing. Um, Another question that people had was, you know, how has Gotha been affected by the pandemic? And, you know, how are you still doing classes online or how has that kind of been going? Because it's a little bit difficult to have those kind of conversations over like a Zoom call. So, yeah, how have you guys been dealing with that? Um, so we, uh, shifted all our work online, um, from last March when the pandemic hit the country, uh, we decided against doing online classes because we had been hearing a lot about how, um, shifting to online education was affecting young people's mental health and, uh, you know, whether it was for, uh, you know, an interactive fun class on consent, it would still mean more screen time. For those people so we decided uh, against that so uh we wrote a book um during the pandemic uh we um you know formed the femgen alliance and took part in organizing like a couple of mass protests um that's kind of what we were kind of fully occupied with from last like the fall like september october november december that's uh, kind of a lot of uh, our time and effort and energy went behind that um, and then we've also been spending a lot of time training our peer educators, like really uh, spending time on uh, build, equip, equipping them with the right skills. For So when we do go back into school, we have like a pipeline of people ready to go into the classrooms. Um, and we also do, um, Gotha has a series called Sisters in Sync. So it's just a space for um, anyone who identifies with experiences of womanhood. And we have like different themes for each time we kind of, it's a discussion circle essentially. And so anytime we're doing that, we have like specific themes. So the first one was on, you know, sisterhood in Bangladeshi communities, um, talking a lot about our bodies, our talking a lot about like our experiences with, you know, with our families, etc. Um, we also had one very recently um, because of the, you know, the rape cases that were mm-hmm. coming out um, during the beginning of this year. So it was just a space for people to come together and heal um, and talk to each other and just grieve, but also know that, you know, there is a community um, that they can they can lean on. Um, and then, uh, for, uh, I'm sh- like, I'm sure some of you have been following, um, our social media pages. So we put out a lot of educational content, but also, um, just, um, um, just, uh, the, the uh, our research and writing team currently has like a series going on for women's history month, which is specifically focused on the Bengal region. And so we're putting out a lot of content on you know, figures that we don't really hear, feminist figures that we don't really hear about in mainstream media. And so it's a great source of like different types of knowledge and, um, you know, resources, I would say. So those are kind of some of the things that we've been, we've been doing over the past year. That's awesome. And yeah, I've been following your social media and everything has been really great and really, really informative. So you're doing a great job with that. Um, And I know that 
schools are actually opening back up in Bangladesh, right? At like the end of the summer, I think. So are you guys going to be going back into school soon or is there any kind of hope for that? Yeah, I mean, before we do that, I also forgot to mention that Gotha also, uh, during the pandemic, launched um, a podcast called oh. Not Here For. Yeah, it's, it's uh, at Not uh, Here For on um, on Instagram. If my teammates are watching, please put in the at mm -hmm. in the comments. Yeah, so that's also like just a space for uh like conversations around rage and uh, conversations around hope. Um, and we have some really great episodes. We're on Spotify as well. So people can check that out. We have a second wave happening in the country right now. So just like, I think just, it's been like two weeks. Things were sort of normal. Yeah. So there, there are talks of it, but I mean, oh, it's we're kind of unsure. We're kind of unsure given like the the cases are uh, rising again and even the number of deaths. So um, from what it looks like at this moment, it's not going to, I, I, it doesn't seem like it's going to open for summer. But we are to in talks with schools because they've had some time to kind of adapt to online education. We're in talks with them on how we can kind of um, start uh, building Kothat School again into into the routine yeah that that would be awesome and i think yeah like you mentioned a lot of students have already kind of gotten used to the online learning so you know if there was even some kind of incorporation i think I really appreciate that because like you mentioned as long as the conversations are continued but hopefully a lot of the students are also following your social media and listening to podcasts and stuff like that and still staying educated i saw sanya in the comment section who's from our aga khan program we love sanya so shout out to sanya <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah that's actually all the questions that i had from my side um cool. and i can wait a couple of seconds to see if people had any last minute questions but it has been so great speaking with you and learning all yeah. about that and i hope people check out the podcast i will for sure check it out today actually yes so. definitely definitely do Thank you so much for coming on here and talking with me today. I had such a good time. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, it was great. The red and green I beat is always in my heart. I do it for my people, always in my thoughts. I gotta be honest with diamonds and pearls. Yeah, yeah. Bengalis in New York, all over the world. It's the bony show. Hey, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live From the slang we spit to the gangs we with It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh I say, hey, come on Can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live